Uh, all right, we're going to be in Exodus uh, 13, uh, 17 through 15, 20 uh, today. It's the pinnacle of the Exodus story, uh, the crossing of the Red Sea, um, probably one of the more well-known biblical stories even outside of uh, Christian and uh, faith circles. But, um, Becky, will you give us a quick, I wasn't here uh, last week, we were away at a wedding, will you give us a quick recap of what happened leading up to this, uh, this point? Yes, so last week we talked about the 10th um, the and final plague, which was the death of the firstborn um, in all of Egypt, the firstborn son in all of Egypt, um, and the institution of the Passover and um, the feast. Uh, the Feast of the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, And so there were some details about that. Um, And then, of course, um, the Israelites were commanded to put uh, the blood of a lamb on um, their doorpost, and and they would be spared, their firstborn would be spared. Um, And it is at this moment that um, Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron into his courts and says, um, leave. He recognizes God as Yahweh for the first time, um, asks Moses and Aaron to bless him, um, asks for Yahweh to bless uh, bless him, uh, which is a recognition of Yahweh's power over Pharaoh as God, um, and says you can leave. And as they leave, the neighbors, the uh, Egyptian neighbors, are so favorable to them that they give them uh, their jewelry, their gold and silver jewelry, and so the Israelites leave um, with their unleavened dough in their um, in their giant bowls carrying it all on their shoulder and with gold and silver from the Egyptians. Uh, and we'll see how long um, Pharaoh uh, stays repentant uh, in, in this passage now. So that's where this finds yep. us it's on the way back. Something else that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, the Israelites were completely immune uh, or exempt from all the plagues. And so they have livestock, they have supplies, they have food. They're being prepared for the journey as uh, all of these events are occurring in Egypt. The land of Goshen was untouched by uh, most of these uh, plagues, including uh, the firstborn. So you can see God's provision and God's preparation for these people and for the journey ahead uh, leading up to this moment. And so now we come to the part where they are being liberated. They're not quite free of the Egyptians yet, but they are being liberated from uh, Egyptian bondage. And so uh, a few questions kind of pop up uh, for, uh, for them and uh, some of the things we see them wrestle with in the text. The first is just, what does the future look like? They've been in this land for 400 years. They have established, they have, uh, they've been established, they have homes, they have families, uh, they know this area, they know, uh, they know this place, and now they're going into the unknown. So what does the future look like? Uh, the second question, uh, which we're going to see on display pretty much through the rest of the book of Exodus is, who are you going to trust? And what does that kind of trust look like? Because they're going to say uh, pretty openly in a couple of chapters, we had it pretty good in Egypt. There wasn't a whole lot wrong. Uh, yeah, we were, you know, like in slavery and all that. But you know, there's, we, we were taken care of, we had places to stay, we had protection uh, under the, um, uh, you know, under the Egyptian banner, uh, so to speak. And so now why, why would we trust this other God who has displaced us? Um, you know, what does that look like? What does it mean to trust God? Uh, and then uh, thirdly, what does God's deliverance look like? Uh, and that's kind of where this story um, or, or this section of scripture uh, starts off. What does God's deliverance uh, look like. Uh, if you look at the uh, the very beginning, you know, Pharaoh lets him go. Uh, Moses actually takes the bones of Joseph. This was Joseph's request. 
before he died to say, please take my bones, my coffin, so to speak, um, out of this land and bring it with you to the promised land. So, you know, even uh, as, as early as Joseph's story, 400, 500 years before this happens, there's still echoes of the promise of God. Uh, that they, he will bring them to the promised land, that this is just a stop along the way. Um, you know, it speaks a lot to Joseph's faithfulness uh, and his foresight to say, we're going to put our trust in what God is going to accomplish uh, later on. Uh, and then one of the other underlying things, which Becky already kind of touched on, is uh, this all points to God making his case to the world that he is not messing around and he is not to be messed with that he is going to take on uh, the superpower of the time and come out more than victorious. Uh, and word is going to start spreading. Um, and we'll see that here uh, in just a moment. Yeah, we talked a little bit last week about how um, in the book of Exodus, um, God is not, situationally in the ancient Near East, um, this story is not trying to say Yahweh is the only God. It is. Um, uh, it, it takes for granted that there are other gods because there are other cultures that had lots of other gods. Um, what it is saying is Yahweh is uh, the creator. Yahweh is um, a better God, a more just, a more loving, um, and juxtaposing the God of the Israelites, Yahweh, with the gods of, um, of Egypt. And so be on the lookout for um, how, that, how you see that juxtaposition in our text going forward. Yep. Uh, I want to open up just with a quick question of reflection for y'all. When is a time in your life where you just reached a dead end with no clear way forward? There'll be a second part to that, but think about about it for a second. When's a time in your life where you just reached uh, an impasse or you're like ran up against a wall and you're like, ah, there's no way that anything is going to happen next here. I'm not going to ask you for the specific example. What feelings come to come to the surface when you think about those times in your life? Fear. Hmm? Hopelessness and despair. Okay. Lack of imagination to see what can be different. Mm. Yeah, doubt for me. Frustration. often think of there's a um, uh, there's a need to control what happens next as well. Well, if this is where God got me, then how can I get myself out of this situation? What can I do? How can I affect the outcome that I'm looking for? Yeah. And I think also for me that there's a lack of trust in God because it's not working out. Mm-hmm. So I just... God isn't for me. Yeah. Of course, most of us have the gift of hindsight now. So what did it it feel like when you see God make a way where there was once no way? By contrast, how does that feel? It's almost like an aha moment. Mm. And here again, for me, I, 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 I... wonder why I didn't trust, why, why I didn't trust longer. And that isn't just one time, it's over and over and over again. But looking back, I can see how things worked out. But when I'm in it, 
I'm just, okay, it's not going to work this, you know. And I don't even think this time. I just think it's not going to work. My life is, you know, in shambles again. And, I think sometimes we learn that grace is sufficient. Because mm -hmm. there's not always a positive out. I mean, there's not always an outcome that, like if you're sick, you get healthy, or you yeah. lose your job and you try to get one, or you know, whatever the case may be, or your marriage is struggling and it doesn't get better. Um, learning that God is there with you in that, giving you what you need each day. Um, you know, to me, is uh, one of the biggest lessons of it. Mm -hmm. But for me, like it's, it's taken a long time to do that. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a quick lesson learned. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Anybody else? Uh, I also think it helps us to maybe redefine our theology of suffering. Mm -hmm. Because uh, in a Western culture, we don't want to suffer. <clears throat> Therefore, we don't have a theology for it. So when we do, we get mad at God or we get mad at other people. And uh, instead of understanding that that's the path of life. Uh, yeah, it's a great point. So that first feeling that you thought about, that's where the Israelites find themselves immediately. Like they leave Egypt and uh, you know, God says, hey, don't go that way. Um, this is another, another piece of like God's providence and God's provision that we look at. Um, he takes them a very specific way around danger, around where uh, Egypt still would have had some kind of authority and presence and says, this is, this is how I'm going to provide for you by even making a, a much safer but yet longer uh, route for you. Uh, so <clears throat> not only that, um, Egypt not, not only owned it all, but they wind up eventually at a, um, uh, at a dead end. It says in uh, 14, uh, the Lord said, uh, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near uh, someplace uh, between uh, Migdal and the sea there to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think, the Israelites are wandering around the land of confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So Israel did this. So you can imagine, you know, Moses has kind of been the mouthpiece of all of this, and he says, hey, we're going to go this way. Oh yeah, now we're going to go camp by the sea. And then they get stuck there. And they're, uh, I mean... The conversation between Moses and, and God probably didn't make it all the way across, you know, the nation of Israel. But at the same time, you have to wonder, like, you got to be, hey, aren't we supposed to be going that way? Like, what? I mean, I've had to follow somebody else's directions in a car before. Some of you probably have done the same. Like, hey, I think I know better. I think I know this way is going to be a little bit uh, easier and faster. But the stupid robot is telling me to go this way. So I don't know what to do. Um, so, uh, so yeah, they're they're stuck, and as soon as they um, as soon as they make camp, they uh, they see the pursuit of the um, of Egypt. I'm sorry, this thing is being laggy and slow. I'm trying to. Well, I just think it's really interesting yeah. too. So God says uh, God led them by the desert road towards the sea because God said if they face war, they might change their mind. 
um, and, and want to go back to Egypt. And yet God puts them in a position uh, where the Egyptians are coming after them. So this very thing, it's, it's, it's so confusing. And I can't imagine being a, an Israelite and, mm-hmm. um, and being in that place. Yep. Um, Pharaoh kind of comes to his comes to his senses and says, "Wait a second, what did we just do?" Um, and I don't think he was. Um, remember what's just happened to Pharaoh? He's just lost his firstborn son. Like nobody thinks very clearly when they are tired, when they are hungry, uh, or when they are going through deep, deep sadness and grief. Nobody thinks clearly during uh, during those times. And so uh, I don't know that it's this like revelatory moment. I think he's been dealing with so much else and now he's realizing oh wait wait just a second look what we just lost we lost an entire nation of workers and uh that's not okay because now that's going to set our country behind um so uh it says again um one of the ways to interpret uh i know some of you weren't here the first couple weeks but one of the ways to interpret uh pharaoh's heart was hardened uh is that god was basically just showing that pharaoh is a human and a human with power and people with power want to keep that power, and they want to exert their authority as much as is possible. And so um, it is incredibly uh, plausible to say that, uh, you know, God did something internally to Pharaoh, but it's also, uh, it's also conceivable that um, he's just saying, hey, he's a human. Like, this is how humans going to going to react. And so uh, his heart and his, uh, his countenance are completely shifted. Uh, in this moment to go, no, we're going to go get those people back. I've changed my mind yet a tenth time uh, to, um, uh, to say, no, we're not going to, uh, we're not going to stand for this. So uh, they wind up at a dead end. Uh, verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, they looked up and they saw the Egyptians. They said to Moses, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Uh, what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Now, I know some of you, some of you probably have caught on to this, right? Think about what they've just seen again. They've seen God's provision in, uh, in not um, uh, kind of being exempt from all of these plagues, right? Uh, they've been delivered from the Egyptians, from slavery, uh, and told, hey, that promise that you've been whispering about for hundreds of years is finally going to come true. And then how quick is their memory? Uh, there's this, um, or how short is their memory, right? Because they've not only done that, but they've gone through the Passover where their children were spared and they had to listen to the cries of the Egyptian mothers who lost their firstborn sons. And now they're turning around going, hey, what in the world, Moses? Like, you serious? This is, this is where you brought us? We're going to die here? Um, and mm-hmm. to be on, on their side, too, like from my own experience, this is not what they expected. I mean, they were delivered. They're going to the promised land. They're not stuck here where the where they can't get across, and the Egyptians are going to kill them after all. I mean, that's their reality. That's oh, yeah. what they see. Absolutely. Yep, it's exactly the other, what they see. The other was good, but it's not good now. Just took us from one, one bad situation to another. Mm-hmm. Promises sound really good until you're faced with the reality of your situation, right? Like, oh, that sounds great, but how are we going to get there? But how is that going to happen? We can can make all the excuses and go through all the things in our minds too, right? Um, And we would have had a super short story here if uh, it would have just ended right there, right? Um, 
So verse 13, uh, Moses answered the people, uh, do not be afraid. These are some of the things, some of the first times we see these things in scripture, right? Uh, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need to only be still. Anybody ever said that to themselves? Like the Lord will fight for you, you only need to be still. And then going. But how long? Mm-hmm. But this. But that. Right? Well, I, I think it's ironic, too, that just in the next verse, then said, you know, why are you crying out to me? Go forward. He tells the people, they just, just be still and watch. And God's like, go forward. Mm-hmm. Move. Ah, went the wrong way, didn't I? Yep. Sorry. Apple TV's being a little laggy. <laughs> Well, you you had mentioned um, this aspect of control, like when it when it mm-hmm. that Pharaoh was facing. So I think in the midst of his loss, um, his loss of power, his loss of his child, his loss of so many things, uh, I think he maybe was thinking, "Oh, this thing I can control," or these Israelites who I have been controlling this whole time, and the Israelites are in this place of fear. And our response to fear is to try to control the situation. Um, and so I think God was removing opportunities for them to control things, um, which, speaking from experience, is a wonderful result, uh, and the process of it is horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I was wondering, I thought this was the case, but back in chapter 6, he tells uh, Moses, he says, uh, I will make myself known to them. Um, We are assuming that they had known God. Mm. And the reality is, they may not have known, or their depth of faith may have been limited because I don't know, were they able to offer sacrifice? I can't remember in Egypt or... No, that was one of the things that they had requested and uh, Pharaoh would not let them. Right, so, so they weren't able to go through their their style of worship that they were used to. So, mm-hmm. as you know, when you lose worship, you lose your connection. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I, it's kind of like... Uh, I learned to have a lot of mercy for uh, Thomas. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. the Israelites, because um, I would probably have done the same thing. Yeah. So we, we do in Genesis have God's promise to Abraham, which carries on through Joseph, and then of course this is Joseph's family. But there is not an indication of how they were worshiping this God. There was an awareness of there has been a promise. Um, Yahweh has promised these things. You know, um, Yahweh refers to God's self as um, the you know the the God of Abraham and um, of Joseph, um, but we don't know how the Israelites would have been interacting with this Yahweh on a, on a day-to-day basis. The, the first indication of some rules or some liturgy in place will come in a couple of chapters, and so you're, you're right on. They may not have had a lot of experience of God outside of these ten plagues. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a hard time going Sunday to Sunday. I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. you no. know, of all the years in Egypt. Yeah. Well, you would you would assume that they would probably have started to take on more of the Egyptians. I mean, American slavery took a lot of the tribal, you know. And yeah. We Christianized a lot of the, you know, American 
American stuff even then. Yeah. And that was over much shorter periods of time. So I could only imagine that mm -hmm. they had taken on a lot of the Egyptian God. <coughs> yep. Could just be that they had an ethnic identity, right? Like there's a distinction between what an Egyptian looks like and what a uh, what a Jew looks like at this at this time. And maybe there's just whispers of your history uh, rather than a practice and a tradition um, there was as well. Though. Yeah. Because no uncircumcised male could eat of the Passover, so there was. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were practicing. Well, well, so that's the that's the the place where it says, if I'm remembering correctly that's kind of inserted about how they will practice Passover, but I think there will be a point later on where a lot of folks are circumcised altogether. Well, they say they were not circumcised Up in the to wilderness. That point. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Uh, let's see. So verse 19 is where we get into some military strategy, uh, too. It says, Then the angel of God who had been traveling in front uh, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved uh, from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness uh, to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. I don't know what uh, timeline you have in mind uh, as far as the actual parting of the Red Sea. I used to think it was just like, done. Well, it was like a full day, day and a half, two days, I think, almost. Um, and, uh, I mean, there's a, lot, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of tension. Um, I remember seeing years ago, uh, I think this was on the History Channel, uh, talking about uh, the, uh, the military strategy of the, um, of the Israelites. And one of the things that it called attention to was the idea of uh, the pillar of fire at night. Um, I know most of us have driven at night before, and when you get a big flash of light, it takes your eyes a few seconds to adjust and, um, you know, be able to, to see what's going on again. Uh, but this massive pillar is not only uh, providing some protection for the, uh, for the Israelites, it's confusing the Egyptians. They can't see what's going on on the other side of this pillar of fire. Um, it's, uh, it's blinding them, and it's keeping them from seeing uh, exactly what's happening. And so they can't strategize. It even says, uh, Moses stretched out his hand, uh, the Egyptians pursued them. Um, uh, during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud of the Egyptian, threw them into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. Uh, the Egyptians said, let's get away from these Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against uh, Egypt. So uh, it's not simply a um, uh, just you know God doing his uh, his all powerful thing. Uh, it's also a military strategy to stop and halt these uh, the pursuit of the Egyptians to um, uh, to the Israelites as well. Well, and to your point about how how long that that crossing would have taken, mm -hmm. we talked about last week the number that's given about how many Israelites uh, men uh, six hundred thousand left. Um, that would have been about two to three million people, and so it would have taken the people at the end of the line uh, two and a half weeks to get to where the people at the start of the line were. So uh, that number might be a little conflated, uh, but yep. yes, it wasn't it wasn't an hour long process probably. Yep. Um, so I have a question: uh, Why didn't Egypt record all of this stuff? <laughs> they lost. There you go. They lost. <laughs> if you if you study apologetics or um, uh, you know biblical history or anything like that, this is one of those one of those moments where you're like, well, surely there's another record of this happening, right? The proverbial superpower of the time has no account 
of this happening. But it's because the Egyptians did not record the bad stuff. They only recorded their victories uh, and their kings and the queens and their wealth uh, and their prominence in the world. They would not have said, oh, also, we lost all of our chariots in this weird, unexplainable uh, uh, event on the, um, on the sea, the end. Like, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have recorded that. Um, so uh, there are other mentions. There's a couple of mentions of uh, the Israelite nation in some ancient Egyptian texts. Uh, but this event in particular does not appear in their records so far as we can tell and so far as we have discovered in our, you know, modern history and whatnot. Um, by the way, uh, and this is one of my favorite things about the, uh, um, about the story of God, especially the story of the Bible, um, God over and over again repeats uh, some of his methods throughout Scripture uh, that God delivers Israel through water here and then when the true deliverer comes... When we start to see the introduction of baptism, God is delivering people through the act of baptism uh, as an act of obedience and trust. This is the same thing for the nation of Israel here, that through water uh, they understand what obedience and trust uh, looks like as they become uh, the people of God. So how does God deliver the news to the world that he's in charge? This is one of those, one of those things that I didn't fully understand until... Um, you know, later high school and college and, uh, and whatnot. If you're living in this time, how does, how does news travel? How, how would you hear about what's going on in a different part of the world? <laughs> yeah, I, I know there were runners that would take the news. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see that with oh, I don't know, with different kings, and the the, the watchman is looking up, and there's somebody running, and they know who it is, and then they see somebody else. Oh, that must be good news because it, he's taking it. But so I don't, but I don't know of any other mm-hmm. way. Travelers, yeah, traders. Mm-hmm. Yep, I come from this land. Here's what's going on in in there. News kind of travels that way. Mm-hmm. So what do you think the best way to, uh, to let somebody or uh, the world know that you're in charge is at this time? Pretty much just to wipe somebody out, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, remember that nation that, you, that you've heard so much about? Yeah, they're, they're not around anymore. They're, they're not the big dog. They're not, they're not in charge. And word starts to make it around to places like uh, uh, the Philistines and Moab, uh, the Moabites and um, one other... Um, uh, one other mention in here. Um, but this is, this is now going everywhere. Like God's not messing around. Uh, Yahweh is in charge. Uh, by taking down the biggest, baddest leader and nation in the known world, uh, not only that, the one who wanted to be known as a god or, or like God. Pharaoh was considered to be a god, um, a direct descendant. Uh, he was not to be messed with. Nobody, nobody else was taken on Egypt, right? Nobody was marching into Egypt Trying to take over, trying to take over their their way of life or anything. Um, news is about to spread all over, uh, and there's still going to be some challengers. In a couple of chapters, we're going to see the Philistines come on the scene with Goliath and um, them trying to be the um, uh, you know the bully of the time, uh, so to speak. But they're just going to fall dramatically short every single time. So. Uh, uh, the Israelites went through on dry ground uh, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The day, uh, that day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead 
on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and Moses, his servant. Excuse me. Um, this is one of those uh, one of those times where you have to wonder, like, that short-term memory that you just had on the other side of the shore is probably gone really quickly, right? Like, <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, we said this was a dead end, and now look what happened. And it probably just blows their mind. They haven't seen anything like this. There's never been any, any event recorded uh, like this in history um, up to this point. So as uh, I'll go back to my original question. When you have reached one of those dead ends and then God makes a way, you look back on it and you go, oh, man, that was totally different than what I thought was going to happen on the other side of things. Or I'm so glad that it happened in his time and not mine. Or if I would have gotten my way, this would have looked totally different. And inevitably, it's going to work out for, uh, for my good and for God's glory, right? Um, all right, I'm not going to try to mess with that. Um, I do want to read the song in chapter 15. Uh, this is the song of Moses and uh, Miriam, and we can look, look at this here in just a second. Uh, then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who oppressed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood firm like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword, and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, O Lord, until the people you bought, uh, you bought pass by. You will bring them in a plant. Um, you will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. I wonder how long that celebration went on on the other side of that shore. I'm sure it wasn't just like, yay, see ya. It probably was pretty significant, especially with two, what'd you say, two, three million people? Yeah. Maybe? Something like that. Um, this random song and random... Uh, random dance uh, just breaks out right there on 
uh, the riverbanks. There's actually two parts to this. It says the song of Moses uh, and Miriam. Uh, let me see where the dividing line is. Uh, verse 13 and on is Miriam's. Everything else before that, uh, it says, is Moses' song. Um, and there's some, some textual um, uh, analysis says that uh, there's actually prophecy from Miriam that you know, this literally just happened and now they're singing about it. And so news is going to spread and all of these other nations are going to experience uh, this terror, this trembling, this melting, this, um, uh, this cowering at the news of who Yahweh is in the world. Um, and if they're wise, the, they're going to act like that. Um, so since we know what happens next, you know, after, um, uh, after this, as they go into uh, the wilderness. Uh, notice this ultimate high, right? Notice this uh, this peak of celebration, right? We kind of did this for a little bit. It was like, oh yeah, we made it through the plagues, and now we're kind of going, oh, now we're stuck, and now look, look at what God has done. Like, the liberation is over, and the freedom has actually been realized, because the enemy has been defeated, and now they get to look forward into the future, not worrying about what may be pursuing them in the past. That's got to be just incredible. What what an incredible feeling this nation must have had to go, look how long we suffered. My grandfather's 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 grandfather could never have imagined that this day would come. And now I get to experience this. Now I get to go into the promised land that we've heard whispers and rumors and stories and maybe even myth and legend uh, about. But their enemies have literally been wiped off the face of the earth they're breaking out in song. Their immediate reaction is fear, which uh, it's probably some like, oh, no, I can't believe what I just saw, uh, but also just an understanding and an awe and a reverence. Uh, and then it says they, they trusted God. Like, how could you not? How could you not trust God? Again, like, they don't have a book of theology to read about what God is like. All they, all they know is what they see. All they know is what is actually happening in front of them. So, how could you not look at that and go, oh yeah, Yahweh's, Yahweh's got it going on. We're going to follow him now, right? I mean, that's, that was my thought. What was your thought? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, and, you know, if, if, this, if, they're being, if Yahweh is being juxtaposed against um, the gods of Egypt, I'm sure they have, I'm sure Pharaoh is attributing great things to the gods of uh, Egypt as well, and then bad things too. And so it would, it to me, it kind of makes sense that they wouldn't trust that things will always be good because they don't know the character of God yet. Um, they're they're used to these fickle gods that um, might give you rain one day and might uh, let there be a drought for a while, or might heal somebody now and and not here. And it and there's no rhyme or reason to it, and there's no um, assurance or promise. Um, that that God cares about you or um, wants what's good for you. And so I think they're just trying to get to know Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Yahweh is showing them. And that's what I love. Um, you know, Mike, you brought up uh, doubting Thomas as well. Um, and I, I just love that, that God always gives um, God's people what they're asking for in the midst of their doubt. Um, and, of course, you know, we see God get frustrated with them and, and wonder, why don't they trust me? Yet God continues to show up and continues to say, I will, I will keep showing you and I will keep coming after you and uh, over and over again. Um, and, you know, I wrestle with, um, 
the the violence and the destruction of, of all of this text and and I remember um, being in graduate school and reading through the the prophets and there's also a lot of um, death and destruction and tearing down of empire and I'm reminded of what my professor <coughs> Philip Camp was telling us is that you know sometimes good news for the oppressed is that the oppressor is defeated um, and so I think that's what is happening here we have seen how cruel Egypt is killing you know throwing babies into rivers and just trying to wipe out an entire people group uh, we have seen the cruelty of this people and so um, what kind of God would God be if God didn't intervene and try to stop this and God gave chance after chance after chance for it to not end up the way that it did um, and gave chance for repentance um, and so that helps reconcile for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I think part of the thing too is, uh, I think we get, and I, well, let me, let me speak for myself. I get hung up sometimes in the story and forget the big picture because we say that, we've heard people say that God is one way in the Old Testament and He's another way in the New. The reality is He's the same, but it's just stretched out. We have more details in the Old Testament. We don't have the stories that they had in the Old Testament and the, the details, you know, that are there. But like you were talking about, he gave the Egyptians multiple opportunities to, uh, and they didn't deserve that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a passage we'll get to um, in a few weeks where it talks about the character of God and how God um, punishes for the, the third and fourth generation, but gives mercy to the um you know, hundreds of generations. And we can sometimes focus so much on, well, why is God being mean to those three and four generations that we forget? Uh, but God's mercy is so, so, so incredibly abundant. Mm -hmm. um, so be on the lookout as we're in this text of <coughs> God's love and God's provision and God's steadfast care, um, even in the midst of some of the violence and some of the things that make us as 21st century people go, ooh, that's a little, that's a little rough. Mm -hmm. I can also put myself in the seat of somebody like uh, Simon the Zealot in the New Testament. Um, you know, he's his faction of um, uh, friends wanted this style of uh, domination, more or less, over the Romans. Um, you know, his belief was that when God comes back, he's going to do to the Romans what um, you know he did to the Egyptians back in the day, and so. I can, I can sense the frustration, too, of going, hey, you did it then, why aren't you doing it now? Um, and, uh, I mean, there's such a weird, you know, to me, like, juxtaposition there of going, I don't, in, in many ways, I don't blame him, right? Like, it happened once, why can't it happen again? Uh, but then it, I also think about, you know, what God does at certain periods of time where, like, this had to happen, right? The, the difference in the New Testament and the Old Testament was everybody in the New Testament had a common language, right? Because of Alexander the Great, everybody was speaking Greek. Uh, and whether you knew Arabic or, uh, or another language, news was going to travel a whole lot faster about this Jesus guy uh, because everybody could understand uh, in, the same, uh, in the same language. The only way that people were going to know in the ancient world was for people to just disappear and, and go, oh, yeah, we, we have somebody new on the, on the playing field. Uh, somebody who's a little bit more powerful than everything that we have known. Um, as we get into the uh, to the wilderness as well, you know, I think about um, how God would have provided for them too. If you have no sanitary laws, if you have no no concept of um, you know dietary um, uh, you know sanitary things, like how else are you going to know? Well, God's going to tell them 
this is what you should do. This is how you should clean. Uh, this is what you should eat. This is how I'm going to protect you by providing you with some, uh, some version of knowledge that you would not have had otherwise. And so uh, all of these rules that I'm giving you are not just meant to be like, here's the straight and narrow, but it's for your benefit and for your good. Um, and it just happens in different ways at different times. Once, uh, you know, the New Testament comes along, we see, um, uh, you know, a lot of these things that were established and known and passed down from generation to generation. And now God is saying, well, let me tell you how this is going to work in relationship with me from here on out. Right? Like there's a different revelation, um, a different revealing to each generation that reveals a little bit more about who the character of God is. Um, and I think that's so, so cool that what we would have seen is kind of basic and, uh, and really um, barbaric maybe yeah. um, in the Old Testament uh, actually is a way of God uh, providing uh, protection and love uh, and, uh, and direction for, for this new nation. Yeah. All right. Oh, we're almost done. Any closing thoughts? Anything come to mind? <clears throat> All right, we'll see you next week then. Haley will be teaching us um, on uh, the first part of the wilderness. Yes, so. first part of the wilderness. What's the reading this Oh, excellent question. <coughs> Let's see, I can bring it. It is 15, uh, 21 through uh, chapter 18. All kinds of good stuff. So, three and a half, two and a half chapters.